Get Ready America. We're on to week two of the podcast, and this week we're going to talk about a four-day cricket match, a bunch of nil-nil draws in football, and a cup that nobody cares about. That's right, it's time for The View from the Western Stand. Good afternoon or evening or morning or wherever it is that you are listening all around the world. Welcome to episode two of The View from the Western Stand. I am Michael McGarry. Uh, we're back. Uh, we're up and running now. I hope some of you are listening to us because you have subscribed either via the iTunes platform or via uh, uh, TuneIn, both of which have uh, the most up-to-date podcasts now available. You can also still listen to us on SoundCloud and, of course, uh, through our website at Western westernstand.com, but uh, we're back for week two, and uh, this week we're going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to talk, like I mentioned in the beginning, about some cricket. We've got a whole lot of football to cover, uh, a little bit of rugby, um, and we're hoping to have a guest on later in the show to talk about American sports as well. We'll see if that ends up materializing, but for now, let's let's kick it off, and this week we're going to start with cricket, um, and I know that's where we ended last week, and, and we're picking up again, but uh, just a... Um, another great Ashes summer in England has come uh, to an end, at least the Test Series. Um, for those unfamiliar, here's the, the 30 seconds on, on Test Cricket on the Ashes and, and why, this is, why this is important and why you care, uh, why I care anyway. Um, England and Australia uh, have been playing uh, national team Test Cricket for, uh, for more than 125 years. It, it dates back well into the 19th century. Um, and they've been playing a series uh, which they call the Ashes. Uh, every two years, uh, alternating between playing uh, in the summer in England and the summer in Australia. Um, this year, um, the, the series was held in England. Uh, and despite the fact that Australia's team won the World Cup uh, earlier this year, back in February and March, uh, which was held down in Australia and New Zealand in the summertime, uh, England managed to seal a uh, three-test-to-two-test victory over the course of the summer uh, to win back the Ashes, uh, which they lost um, in the last series down in Australia. Uh, it was really a, a, quite an interesting set of five-day matches. Uh, none of them lasted the full five days, uh, so that's the very first thing to, to note about this. As much as we like to think that Americans will never understand cricket because it takes too long. Sometimes the action is a bit more punctuated uh, and, and a bit more sort of free-flowing, even in the five-day version of the game. And this summer saw a lot of that uh, from the very first test, uh, which England won in Cardiff, um, to, to losing the second test at Lords uh, before sweeping the third and fourth tests at Edgbaston and at Trent Bridge before coming to the fifth test with a three-test, two-one lead. Uh, that match did wrap up uh, this weekend. Australia came to play really for the first time this summer. Even as they won the toss and won that that second test at Lords uh, by by uh, by being able to um, to to bat and uh, just run up the score basically on England. 
they never really were on sure footing. The pitch uh, didn't suit their bowling attack very well, certainly not as much as it did from some of these same players, uh, Mitchell Johnson, uh, Mitchell Stark, Nathan Lyon, uh, both the seamers and the spinners, that had such success at the World Cup and have such success on the drier Southern Hemisphere pitches uh, that, that we've seen, did not take to uh, the greenery of an England summer um, with surprisingly little rain for an Ashes series. It's a bit like Wimbledon in that way. Um, it, Britain, uh, Engl- uh, Britons often say that it's never summer in England until it's raining during Wimbledon uh, and generally also raining during the Ashes. But there was surprisingly little uh, rain-stopped play uh, sort of um, uh, uh, shenanigans happening this time around. Um, it was fairly dry weather, fairly sunny weather for, for England in the summer. And uh, England were able to capitalize on that and, uh, and take home three test victories over the course of the summer to regain that Ashes trophy. In the fifth test, um, like I say, it, it was really the first time Australia came to play. And, and come to play, they did. Um, they came to play for their retiring captain, Michael Clark, who's retiring from test cricket uh, after a, a career of um, incredible achievement, winning the World Cup with Australia, winning the Ashes many times, many test and one-day victories uh, throughout the course of his career, leading Australia to be one of, if not the best team in the world for much of his tenure. Uh, but he, uh, playing his final test at the Oval in London, uh, didn't disappoint and his predecessor was actually, or, or sorry, his uh, successor rather, uh, was the star of the show, Steve Smith, who will be taking up the captaincy for Australia, um, beginning with their next series uh, later this year. Uh, batted for 143 runs in the first innings, that really, uh, actually Australia's only innings uh, of the match in which they batted. It really helped set the tone uh, for the incredible Australian victory, which was by an innings and 46 runs. For those not familiar with, with how test cricket scoring works, each team should bat twice, sort of the top and bottom of the inning, like we understand it with, with baseball in this country. Uh, but if the first team scores enough runs, which in this case Australia scored 481 runs for their 10 wickets in their first innings, and uh, England did not get close enough to that uh, total, they could in, Australia could enforce them to follow on and continue batting, even though uh, they had made... Uh, outs for all of their 10 wickets England had, which is what exactly what happened, and they still came up 46 runs shy of the Australian total, and uh, again, mostly thanks to the batting performance and the bowling performance of Steve Smith, who took a wicket for seven, only giving up seven runs. Uh, Peter Siddle was the lead taker, uh, taking two for 32 in the first innings for Australia and four for 35, very economical both times around. Uh, that was a, his second innings total. Not much to speak of from a batting performance standpoint for England. Alistair Cook made 85 in his second innings total, um, but that proved not to be enough to get England uh, over the hump despite a, a long summer of great batting from, from, uh, from batsmen like Joe Root, Ian Bell, and an incredible summer of bowling from Stuart Broad that did uh, lead them to an Ashes victory. They could not go for the fourth uh, victory in the five-test series, losing by an innings and 46 runs to Australia. Up next in the series, we go uh, to the one-day matches, first to the 20-over limited-overs matches that will be um, coming up at the end of the month 
told me one of those. And then a five-match, uh, five one-day international series, 50 overs per side. Same setup as we had at the World Cup earlier this year. Uh, so I fully expect Australia to put in a better showing there, uh, certainly. But the Test Series is what everyone looks at and, and what many of us enjoy about cricket. It's the traditional form of the game. And uh, they put on a great show this summer. Uh, it was great to be able to sit back and watch it uh, with my kids from here across the pond. And I look forward to the return matches uh, in two years' time down in Australia in the winter for us and, of course, in the summer for them. Uh, those will be some interesting matches down there. England also going uh, in the Southern Hemisphere season down to South Africa, and I'm looking forward to, to watching those as well. A team in fine form, uh, especially in the test version of the game, less so in the one-day version of the game, but uh, should be fun to watch against some of the big bats uh, they've got down in South Africa as well. Uh, nonetheless, great Ashes summer. If you want more about uh, what happened this summer with the Ashes, uh, go to the Test Match Special website, and I'm going to put a link up uh, in a blog post on westernstand.com. But the Test Match Special site uh, through the BBC has a whole slew of podcasts. Um, I mentioned a little bit last week uh, about some of the great work that they've done, and uh, it's worth going back and listening to Jonathan Agnew and, and Henry Blofeld and Jeffrey Boycott and, and the others that they bring in um, to give some perspective on a summer's worth of action. You can look back on it now that you've got the full perspective. Um, so I encourage you to do that. But moving on, it was, it was an, a jam-packed, action-packed weekend uh, on the football pitch as well. Uh, and, of course, we, we start, uh, as we do every week, with the Premier League. Uh, this week uh, served up some, some cracking matches, some, some, great, uh, some great football to watch. We'll start with the Crystal Palace report. Um, an absolutely fantastic match in, uh, as Michael Davies put it, the cauldron of uh, Selhurst Park. Crystal Palace managing to eke out a victory over Aston Villa. Two goals to one early Saturday, uh, early Saturday Pacific time. Second half goals from Scott Dan and Bakary Sacco on 87 minutes uh, allowed them to get past a Papasuare uh, own goal in the 77th minute and get Palace all three points from this game. It's the three points I think that were well deserved um, in in watching the match. You know, Bakary Sacco first of all coming in for the uh, uh, for the bereaved Gala Balassi who had to fly home to DR Congo uh, to attend to the death of his of his stepfather. Sadly, uh, Bakary Sacco stepped in and and provided uh, a lot of pace and a lot of uh, uh, of, of of play development um, in the in the offensive half of the field. Uh, was able to hold his own sort of along the wing. Uh, and as uh, Super Alan Pardew said after the match, uh, we'll continue to push uh, Balassi and Jason Punchin for, for starts as, uh, as the season rolls on. And, and as we get through the transfer window as well, unclear still whether there are more moves to be made, players coming in, players going out. We're going to talk about transfers in a little bit, um, uh, more importantly. Uh, but they, they've... Uh, there's still some movement that, that can happen there uh, through the rest of the week. So it remains to be seen exactly what the Palace team will look like once that's uh, over and done with. But this week, solid victory going into a very, very important two-game stretch for Palace. Next weekend, um, they, they are uh, away at Stamford Bridge to take on Chelsea. And uh, they will be uh, home after the international break on the 12th of September. To Man City. Those are going to be two really key early season matchups that'll show us the mettle of this team, whether Palace can really 
um, challenge for a Europa League or heaven forfend, even a Champions League place finishing in the top four maybe? Um, is it too early to hold out hope? Is it too late to hold out hope? Um, we will have to see. But what's clear right now is that especially in, in playing at home, this is a team that uh, if they can shore up the back line, if maybe they can bring in Charlie Austin through a transfer, and that those discussions are ongoing as of this recording with Queens Park Rangers, um, uh, you know, this is a team that really could compete. And I think more than anything else, again, playing in that cauldron at Selhurst Park, it's fun to watch every, uh, every week um, as Premier League teams are coming through because this is a... Uh, a side that is uniquely sort of positioned, I think, to do well in the table and hopefully at least finish in the top half as the season rolls on. Uh, I think signs are looking up for Palace, and so it's a great season to, to be following them, um, if you are. A couple other matches to touch on uh, throughout the Premier League. Two nil-nil draws to focus on. Uh, the kickoff match of the weekend, Man United and Newcastle United. Very free-flowing match. Uh, very much an open, a lot of open space, uh, but no goals could be scored. Um, it was uh, it, it was a, a great early in the day Saturday matchup. I caught uh, much of it, and uh, what you saw was a Newcastle team really pressing, 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 trying to find a goal, especially on the counter attack. They had a, a really great counter attack attack chance late in the match. Uh, were unable to uh, find the back of the net there, but they um, they really did push the pace. Uh, Man United uh, didn't look slow necessarily coming off their midweek tie with Brugge, uh, but were not able to find the back of the net. Memphis Depay did not follow up his Champions League scintillating performance uh, with, with any goals to speak of. Uh, but nonetheless, um, a, a match of high quality, a match of, uh, uh, of great skill, and no goals scored there. Uh, similarly, Arsenal-Liverpool, Monday Night Football, this was one that everyone had circled on their calendar uh, in, in the third week of the proceedings as something that was going to tell us a lot about both teams. And frankly, in watching this game, it could have ended 4-4, and it ended nil-nil, thanks in large part to the goalkeeping of Simon Mignolet and of Petr Cech on the other side. Cech, who made this incredible first half outstretched fingers save where he just got a glove on the ball enough to redirect it onto the post, um, on what, what looked to be an almost straight-ahead clear goal. Um, was able to keep it out of the net. Great chances on both sides. Aaron Ramsey had a goal disallowed very early on. That may have changed the proceedings. Um, if you go back and look at the tape, very clearly onside, was flagged for offside. Unfortunate that, again, um, the officiating comes into play here and we're unable to, uh, to get the right call at the right time. Nonetheless, great 90 minutes of football uh, were, were played at the Emirates Stadium. Arsenal and Liverpool both walking away with a point. Uh, and uh, it, it really, I think, served to tell us about both these teams that they are here. Uh, they do have staying power and, and are here to compete. Um, it'll be interesting as the weeks roll on here if they'll be able to do a bit more finishing on, on both sides. Um, Another match that everyone was, was looking forward to just because this team has been so up and down throughout the year. Chelsea 3, West Bromwich Albion 2. Uh, an early goal from Pedro. And if you remember last week, we talked in this space about how Pedro was on his way to England to sign for Manchester United. After I stopped tape uh, last week, about 45 minutes after that, the reports started to leak out early in the morning in England uh, 
that Pedro had indeed signed for an English team, but it was not Manchester United. It was the Chelsea Football Club. Um, despite reports earlier in the week that Jose Mourinho had said there's no place for Pedro in his side, um, and that Abramovich, Roman Abramovich, the owner, may have been pushing uh, the 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 idea of, of having Pedro. Well, if that's the case, then Abramovich got his man. Um, Pedro came into the side, trained for a couple of days, and immediately had an impact with a 20th-minute goal to open the scoring uh, and assisting on another with Diego Costa scoring in the 30th minute. Uh, Cesar Espiliqueta added his own goal in the 42nd minute. James Morrison did have a brace for West Bromwich on 35 and 59 minutes. Uh, the, one, of the, one of the main stories of the game for me is Chelsea being unable to close out a clearly depleted West Brom side with uh, their main striker, Saito Berahino, on the bench having put in a, a written transfer request and clearly a team uh, not in the best form right now. West Brom coming off their uh, shellacking to Man City, not being able to score a goal against Watford. Finally got on the scorecard, uh, got off the mark for the year, but Chelsea were unable to put this team away for the better part of an hour. And realistically, only after a second-half red card to John Terry and uh, the substitution of Kurt Zuma for Gary Cahill uh, did they seem to find any semblance of being able to control the pace and flow of the game and keep West Brom off the attack. Um, if Chelsea are going to compete in the Premier League and, and throughout Europe uh, this year, they're going to have to get that in order very quickly. Now, Pedro, I think, brings um, a unique uh, ability to, to score and to push pace that they did not have before. Uh, for those of you who are playing Fantasy Premier League, by the way, um, and, and listening in, he's my pick of the week. Hopefully he does better than my pick of the week last week, Connor Wickham. Uh, who, as you might know, was injured in training shortly after I called him my fantasy pick of the week and has been left out of the squad, not just in Saturday's game for Crystal Palace against Aston Villa, but uh, uh, tonight's game uh, in which he did not feature against Shrewsbury Town um, in the Capital One Cup, the League Cup uh, third round. Uh, nonetheless, be a good one to hold on to. Uh, his injury uh, doesn't look too severe, uh, but my pick for this week is going to be Pedro. He's about £9 million. Uh, worth having because he's going to both get goals and assists as this Chelsea team continues to score. Um, all that being said, the offense is only as good as the defense. And if John Terry uh, is is done, if he's absolutely cooked, and they can't land John Stones from Everton by the end of the week, which it's starting to look like it may come right down to the end of the window, um, it's going to be interesting to see how much Chelsea is going to be able to hold teams uh, on defense throughout this season and if they can continue to run up the score on their own and maybe they do win games three to two four to two five to four uh, throughout the season but that's not a, a an incredibly efficient way to go through um, to go through the year and um, it puts a lot of pressure on Thibaut Courtois on Asmir Begovic should Mourinho decide to slot them in and out the other part of this is Mourinho, who only used 14 players in heavy rotation last year, is going to have to expand that a little bit, especially as the squad ages, especially as the squad gets more and more um, miles under their wheels throughout the year, playing not just Premier League, not just Champions League, but FA Cup and League Cup ties as well. <clears throat> There's going to have to be um, a, an ability to swap players in and out. So... Uh, all that is to say that there's still a lot of movement that could happen in the transfer window. Mourinho keeps saying the transfer window for him is closed. 
I don't know that I believe him, especially with John Stones sitting out there uh, and, and looking for a home and looking, hopefully, uh, to be Chelsea's next £40 million man. But we shall see. Elsewhere in transfer news, I think it's important to, uh, to look at that at this point. We talked about Pedro and uh, the immediate impact he's already had. Uh, two players have gone out to Italy um, who have been uh, largely seen as failures uh, in the English game. Those, of course, uh, Juan Cadrado, uh, the Colombian international who came in uh, in January, did not see much playing time for Mourinho's Chelsea, has been loaned out to Juventus. Uh, and uh, should feature there. Hopefully he gets a little bit more of a, a chance to, to ply his wares in Serie A and get uh, some better miles under him. The other one, uh, which has just been an absolutely antagonizing saga, agonizing rather, saga uh, for Liverpool Football Club, Mario Balotelli, your long national nightmare is over. He's back to AC Milan, um, went through a physical this morning, uh, West Coast time here in the U.S., um, pledged his fealty to, to the Milan club and looks set there to, um, at least as he puts it, continue to work hard, craft his game, and maybe get back to the level that we saw uh, before the World Cup last year and certainly in his time at Manchester City, hopefully with less uh, carrying on. And speaking of, of Manchester City, they are targeting uh, Wolfsburg, uh, midfielder Kevin De Bruyne, former Chelsea man. Uh, the bids there are upwards of sixty million pounds. It's been reported widely in the media. Uh, no decision made yet. De Bruyne has attracted interest from a, a range of other clubs, and it may also be that he wants to stay in Wolfsburg and Wolfsburg wants to keep him. But the price tag continues to escalate, and I think as we go through the week, you'll probably see Kevin De Bruyne move. I would not be shocked if it were to Manchester City. Um, I, I think he would uh, slot in quite nicely in Pellegrini's system. Uh, and if that's the case, if, if they're bringing in De Bruyne, uh, this is a team that has nine points from three games, and it gets very tough, barring, barring injuries, to see how anybody is going to catch up to them uh, throughout the rest of the season. Uh, so Kevin De Bruyne there could be on the move as well. One story that looks like it's fizzled uh, pretty well is Karim Benzema, uh, one of the Hale Bale Benzema uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, BBC trio at, uh, at Real Madrid, looks to be staying at Real Madrid despite renewed interest from Arsenal and some other English clubs. Uh, looks as if he's probably not going anywhere, at least if his uh, personal Twitter feed is to be believed, calling uh, him a Madridista to the core and, and saying Madrid is his home. Uh, we talked a bit about John Stones, but John Stones trying, uh, at least putting in the request now for a £40 million transfer from Everton to Chelsea to help shore up that back line. It remains to be seen if that will happen. Um, the continuing saga of David De Gea, uh, is he or isn't he going to Real Madrid? He has not dressed for any of Manchester United's uh, matches in the season, uh, whether in the league or in Europe. He did not make the trip to Bruges uh, for the tie uh, Wednesday against Club Brugge. Um, hopefully this resolves itself sooner rather than later. I think De Gea is ready to go to Madrid. He wants to go to Madrid. It's a question of the price. Um, Louis van Gaal almost certainly just, just waiting for uh, the right amount of zeros uh, to follow the right number, and, and De Gea will be off. But, you know, we've, as, as you've heard, uh, van Gaal has been in, um, an, odd, uh, an odd duck this transfer window, uh, losing out on Pedro 
not making a whole lot of other moves. Uh, so it remains to be seen whether De Gea will actually go to the Bernabeu. I think he probably will. Uh, that's speculation at this point. Uh, but just all of the signs and signals coming out of out of England and out of Europe are that De Gea is on the next train on the next plane to Madrid, and uh, it remains to be seen if they can get that deal done. Uh, Saido Berahino uh, from West Bromwich Albion has put in a written transfer request that was rejected uh, late today um, to go to Tottenham. Uh, it remains to be seen if they'll be able to work out a deal there. Uh, but Berahino. Uh, his future at West Brom very much up in the air. Tony Pulis, not, uh, not the type of, of Premier League manager to suffer fools. Uh, and uh, it looks that uh, he'd much rather have Barahino gone and £20 million in his place to spend on, on keeping West Brom in the league. But we'll see what they're able to do now or, or perhaps later on in January. Um, one story that was quite odd coming out of Crystal Palace, out of, out of Southhurst Park, was that Yala Balassi, uh, who again was on bereavement leave down in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, attending to the death of his stepfather, um, that there had been a, a request uh, for his services also from Tottenham Hotspur on the order of 20 to 25 million pounds. Uh, that report was scuttled and, and, and largely rubbished uh, in the press shortly after it went out, and the club uh, gave a big uh, amount of backing to, to Balassi. Uh, while saying they're still exploring options, especially Charlie Austin from QPR, um, through the transfer window. Nonetheless, an odd story, uh, especially if you read the Holmesdale um, Bulletin Board or the BBS um, that, uh, that's put up by Crystal Palace Football Club, uh, whether or not the story itself has any backing in the media at this point is, is up for some debate. Uh, and... Uh, certainly something to watch what Crystal Palace does and what, if anything, there is to do with, with Yannick Balassi, but uh, could be going somewhere, most likely not. Uh, odd stories out of the Croydon Advertiser and some of the other local media in South London. And finally, on the transfer front, we, we have to talk about Neymar. Um, reports out of Manchester say that Louis van Gaal has made uh, Neymar his 240 million pound man, a quarter of a billion pounds, to Barcelona. Um, almost certainly from all reports coming out of, of La Masia and, and out of Barcelona and out of the Spanish media, this is nothing more than a tactic being deployed by Neymar's agents to get him a new deal at Barcelona. Uh, the Barcelona, Barcelona ownership have said that uh, they're looking forward to having Neymar in the squad and working it out. And the 240 million pounds is, is a little on the low side for his services. I think that's almost categorically insane, personally, but here we are. Um, you know, I think Messi for 300 million euros, as was being discussed last summer in, in the silly season of the transfer window, was, was bad enough. But 240 million pounds, um, realistically getting close to half a billion dollars for the services of, of Neymar. Uh, to go to the Premier League would be uh, just an insane amount of money to spend and something that's, that's flat isn't going to happen. Uh, I, I just think that's, that's so far out of the realm of possibility that it, it, it frankly only bears discussion because of the price tag. So I'm sure we'll see you back here uh, next week where I'm talking about Neymar being fitted for his Manchester United or Chelsea jersey. Who knows? Uh, all of that said, it was a great week of Premier League action. Uh, with all of that transfer news still bubbling, uh, bubbling along, the transfer window not closing for another few days. 
Um, it's early yet, but looking at the table, obviously Man City, three, uh, nine points from three games, uh, just well out in front of everybody. Um, but the big story for me is if you're a Leicester City fan, book your Champions League tickets for 2016-2017 now. Seven points from three games. Um, they just keep scoring. This is another team that could be winning games 5-4 to four all season long. They could be losing games 6-2. to two. No one really knows. It's three games into the year. Uh, hard to say what, um, what Leicester has uh, really in its account going forward. But seven points from three games is nothing to sneeze at. 35 games to go. Uh, but Leicester have more points than any other Premiership team since last April. If you go back into last season... Uh, in their fight to stay in the league, and they seem to have rolled it uh, into uh, a great amount of success here in the early going this year. So they'll be a fun team to watch uh, as the season rolls along. Crystal Palace, of course, six points in three games, two pivotal matches coming up on either side of the international break. More big matches coming after that, but let's see where we are after the fifth week before we start uh, booking Europa League or, or Champions League tickets for Palace. Uh, other surprises, obviously, Arsenal and Chelsea, both four points from three games. Need to do a whole lot more work there. Uh, Watford, three points from three games. Bournemouth finally getting off uh, off the schneid, picking up uh, their first win, three points. Um, then you look at the bottom of the table, and Sunderland and West Bromwich Albion, just the same as we talked about last week. Those are two teams that look like they could be going down uh, as this season rolls on. Uh, elsewhere, uh, let's look ahead to next weekend. Let's look ahead to what we've got coming up uh, in the Premiership uh, next weekend. On Saturday, the early matchup at 4.45 a.m. Pacific, Newcastle uh, and Arsenal. Your 7 a.m. games, your, your slate, which will be on uh, NBC Sports, USA Network, and Extra Time, or of course on the NBC Sports Live Extra app. Aston Villa and Sunderland in a bottom-of-the-table scrape there. Bournemouth and Leicester. The big one for us, Chelsea and Crystal Palace. That one is on USA Network for those of you looking to watch in the U.S. Uh, Liverpool and West Ham. Man City uh, takes on Watford and Stoke gets West Brom. Tottenham and Everton will be the featured matchup. That's the 9.30 uh, a.m. kickoff on Saturday. And then the Sunday matches leading into the international break, 5.30 a.m. Pacific, Southampton and Norwich. And Swansea and Man United kick off at 8 a.m. on Sunday. That's your premiership look towards match day four sliding into uh, the international break. Uh, elsewhere, UEFA Champions League still ongoing. Uh, the Wednesday ties from last week kicked off the return ties today. Uh, with uh, Monaco uh, beating out uh, Valencia 2-1, but losing out 4-3 on aggregate as Valencia uh, move on uh, to uh, the next round of the tournament. Monaco will go on only in Europa League. Maccabee Tel Aviv and FC Basel uh, fought to a 1-1 draw today, and after the 2-2 draw at Basel, Maccabee uh, will move on. Malmo defeated Celtic 2-0. They'll move on. Shakhtar and Rapid Vienna uh, played to a 2-2 draw. So Shakhtar moves on on the strength of their uh, one-goal win at Vienna last week. And Dinamo uh, beat Skendebay 4-1. Uh, following up tomorrow, Apoel Nicosia and Astana, Seska Moscow and Sporting. Uh, the previously discussed Man United and Club Brugge matchup. 
Bayer Leverkusen and Lazio and Partizan and Bate Borisov. All of those matches kick off at 11.45 a.m. Pacific. All of those matches can be seen on the Fox Sports family of networks throughout uh, tomorrow. And then the Champions League draw coming up on uh, Thursday. Rest of Europe for the week. Um, La Liga finally kicked off. We had a little bit of a preview last week. It uh, did not disappoint. Uh, Barcelona finally able to get off the schneid against Athletic of Bilbao, uh, beating them at the San Mamesh 1-0 on a Luis Suarez goal. Surprise of the weekend uh, for me was Real Madrid playing to a 0-0 draw with Sporting Gijón. I haven't gotten a chance to watch that match yet. Uh, I don't know that there's much to see there. It's early going, but uh, Gijón taking a point off the Madridistas uh, is, certainly a, uh, is, is certainly a surprise. Uh, the biggest surprise, though, if you look at the La Liga table, and if you're an Ibar fan, I hope you frame this, because I don't think you're going to see very much of this, but Ibar, on the strength of a three-goal victory over the weekend, uh, they're sitting at the top of the table. Uh, they were able to, uh, to get past Granada 3-1, uh, to one, uh, scoring three goals on the Monday night game in Spain. Uh, we'll look ahead to next weekend, a couple of great matchups um, as you go through the weekend. Saturday... Barca play Malaga at 11.30, uh, and Real Madrid take on Real Betis at the Bernabeu. That's at 1.30, that kickoff on Saturday. And a uh, big one on Sunday morning, 11.30, Sevilla and Atletico de Madrid uh, in a matchup of two teams that could be uh, fighting for maybe even a top spot in the league, but certainly a Champions League place coming out of Spain. Um, and as we've seen now, that's uh, an important place to be. Uh, for Spanish teams who have, uh, four of whom now have um, advanced to the next round of the Champions League so far this year. In the Bundesliga, game of the week for me was uh, FC Cologne won, Wolfsburg won. Uh, Simon Zoller scored on 30 minutes for Cologne, and it took a Nicholas Bentner 83rd minute reply uh, to get one point uh, for Wolfsburg on the road at Cologne. Uh, it was a, uh, a good weekend across the board, but that was definitely the standout game for me. Looking ahead, uh, big tilt Friday afternoon, kicking off the weekend, 11.30 a.m., Wolfsburg against Schalke Fier. Uh, great early season matchup between two teams that ought to be at the top of the Bundesliga table uh, as we get towards the end of the season. Uh, Bayern Munich have Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, that'll be Saturday morning at 9.30 and Sunday morning at 6.30. Set your TiVos. Dortmund, Borussia Dortmund, and Hertha Berlin at 6.30 uh, should be uh, a pretty good tilt. Um, in uh, Elsewhere, Serie A kicked off this week. League 1, League 1 rather, in France continued on. Uh, one note on transfers between those two leagues. Uh, there's talk of Ezekiel Levetsi, uh leaving Paris Saint-Germain, where he's been unhappy, uh, and possibly moving uh, to Inter Milan. Uh, we'll have an update on that uh, after the close of the window, uh, no doubt. But that was one that we didn't cover in the early transfer segment and is worth noting. Uh, looking ahead to next weekend, uh, we might see the return uh, in glory of Mario Balotelli as AC Milan take on Empoli. That's at 11.45 a.m. on Saturday. That will be on the BN Sports uh, family of networks um, at some point throughout the weekend. Check local listings. Uh, and in France, Monaco and PSG. Monaco coming off their loss, uh, their aggregate loss, and their win today uh, against Valencia, taking on Paris Saint-Germain. That's noon on Sunday 
and uh, again, check local listings for BN Sports online and on television. Uh, let's talk about MLS a little bit. Uh, the big, uh, the big matchup this last weekend um, was uh, the LA Galaxy taking on New York City FC. This was billed as the return of Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard to to great battles together. Lampard uh, unfortunately was hurt uh, and uh, did not take part. Was hurt in training, uh, but Gerrard did feature. Uh, in the LA Galaxy's 5-1 shellacking of New York City FC. Goals from Jossie Zardes, a brace from Robbie Keane, others from Gio Dos Santos and Yet Get. Uh, and David via penalty got New York City on the board, but it simply wasn't enough. Uh, but a great matchup and something to note in terms of how MLS is picking up. I was listening to, to Jason Davis this morning on uh, Sirius XM FC. And we're at a point now in MLS for the first time where more than half, 50.9% of players are foreign-born. And that's piquing a lot of interest in MLS overseas, which I think is an important stage in the development of the league. Um, you know, we're getting players like uh, Steven Gerrard and, and Frank Lampard and David Villa and Kaká, players that are on the back ends of their careers. Uh, but one of the most important stories for me is what's happening at Toronto FC. Um, Toronto FC fighting for a playoff spot on the table, but they brought over not just Michael Bradley back from Europe, the American captain, uh, not just uh, giving Josie Altidore a home after uh, his lost season at Sunderland and, and, and finding a new spot for Jermaine Defoe, who had, who had come over, uh, but bringing in a 29-year-old Sebastian Giovinco, someone in the prime of their career, um, a known goal scorer, a weapon, someone who's featured internationally for Italy and at Juventus, uh, to come over and ply his wares in MLS. We're going to need more players like that because that will in turn help, I think, the growth of the game, uh, the growth of the league rather internationally, and also serve as an impetus for academy programs to take off to feed not just these teams who, where you could theoretically play with international stars, but in that mode of thinking, also developing players to go and play in Europe and come back for the primes of their careers as well. Creating that kind of feeder system is going to be important for MLS, it's going to be important for the U.S. men's national team, and it's going to be important for the growth of the league um, going forward. Uh, nonetheless, games like LA Galaxy and New York City FC, which were shown in prime time on Sunday night in England, uh, after a full weekend of Premiership football on Sky Sports, getting both good reviews and good ratings is important for the growth of football in the United States, important for the growth of MLS, and our ability to, to, to uh, attract not just players looking for a payday at the end of their careers, looking for a retirement contract, but realistically looking to play at a top level in a top league and marketing MLS as such. One other note on the American game right now, uh, the U.S. Open Cup final is set, our, our version of the FA Cup here. Philadelphia Union are going to host Sporting Club of Kansas City. That's going to be on September 30th. U.S. Open Cup is uh, a fantastic uh, look at neighborhood and club football in the U.S. and now bringing MLS into the mix uh, allows some really great uh, competition uh, to be sparked uh, at all levels of our disjointed American pyramid. I'm hopeful that we can help build the game um, through this 
uh, through here in the U.S. so that more and more uh, we're getting uh, these club teams, these neighborhood clubs, these smaller clubs, uh, getting them some exposure to try to highlight the local nature of, of, of the growth of football and, again, help feed into some of these academy programs so that we get stellar athletes, more stellar athletes playing, playing football in the U.S. as opposed to some of the other sports. I think it will really help the growth of the game. Um, elsewhere, other sports. Let's talk a little bit about rugby before we before we close up shop here. Uh, great match over the weekend down in New Zealand. Uh, hope you caught it. The Ranfurly Shield defense in the ITM Cup, uh, Hawks Bay, outlasting Otago, thirty nine to twenty two. Israel Dag, who's featured for the All Blacks, was released from duty in their run up to the to the World Cup matchups and uh, came back to his home provincial union. Scored a hat trick of tries. Um, for Hawks Bay, uh, and uh, was able to help power them to that 39 to 22 victory. Next up for the Magpies, they're playing Counties Manukau. That'll be 12:35 a.m. Friday on the Pacific uh, coast of the U.S. Uh, available on Directv Channel 490. Set your TiVos or stay up late, have a tui, and sit back and watch some great uh, New Zealand provincial rugby. South African competition also ongoing. Uh, the Blue Bulls, uh, well out in front of Western Province, 47-29. to 29. Um, Haven't gotten a chance to watch this matchup yet, for, but from what I've read about it, it was uh, a rather poor showing from, uh, from Province. Uh, Bulls, of course, always one of the powerhouses of provincial rugby uh, in South Africa, and it's always a great matchup, but uh, unfortunate that WP couldn't uh, get up for that match. They have Cheetahs, 10-10 a.m. on Friday. That's also available here in the U.S. on DirecTV. Couple internationals uh, also took place over the weekend. Uh, France came out ahead of England, twenty-five to twenty, in one of their final World Cup tune-ups. Of course, we're looking ahead. World Cup kicking off uh, about uh, three weeks from now in in England and Wales. Uh, should be an absolutely great tournament. We'll uh, over the international break for uh, football. We'll do a little bit of a preview, looking ahead, uh, see what uh, you might expect. For uh, that competition, as we look ahead to that uh, in September and October uh, over in the home nations. And the USA Eagles uh, also got a win this weekend as they ramp up their um, preparations for the tournament 41-23 to over Canada. They've been playing Canada a fair amount after the Pacific Nations Cup and, and have been able to put some, uh, some great performances uh, up against that side and some of the other Pacific sides. Uh, they will have a couple of interesting matches coming up. They have Harlequins this Sunday at noon, uh, and then also coming up uh, in about a week's, uh, about 10 days' time, uh, they'll be playing Australia in Australia's final tune-up match for uh, the World Cup. They'll take on the Wallabies at Soldier Field, um, and uh, that'll be broadcast on the NBC Sports Network. We'll have more on that next week as we look towards our Rugby World Cup preview uh, another one, if you can catch it this weekend, Ireland and Wales. Uh, I believe that's at the Aviva Stadium um, in Dublin. Uh, that's at 6.30 a.m. on Saturday. Check local listings for time and station. Should be broadcast on, uh, uh, on either RTE or uh, one of the British broadcasters. Uh, but check that out. Should be a great weekend's football, great weekend's rugby. Um, lots to, to take in. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk American sports uh, on a later cast. We'll get that up and running uh, later this week. A reminder to subscribe uh, via iTunes or tune in. 
Uh, details on that available at westernstand.com. Follow us on Twitter at Western Stand, on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash the Western Stand for the latest. Throughout the transfer window, we'll be trying to move uh, news over to you there and through some of our other channels. But make sure you're following us and, and following along. Uh, special thanks this week. Go. I uh, hope you like our new theme song. I really do. Um, theme song comes from WFMU in New York's Free Music Archive. Uh, and special thanks go out to Les Sans Culottes uh, for licensing through Creative Commons so that we can bring that to you uh, each week as we record our podcast. But for now, this has been Episode 2 of The View from the Western Stand. I'm Michael McGarry, and we'll see you back here next week.